in the seat by 9.30. So we'll all meet together right here and vote. The other thing I just want to mention very, very briefly is our Word Partners is designed. We've been announcing that it's coming up on a Sunday, June the 27th. It's designed for those in ministry, those who have responsibilities for preaching and teaching God's Word, who are interested in it. We don't expect um, everyone or, or even many to sign up. We want to make you aware of it. It is a strong commitment to the teaching of the Word of God. And so if you'd like to be involved in that, let Brian or myself know so that we can, can plan on that. There's no cost associated with it, but we want to know if you um, are interested in being involved in that. All right, God's Word for today. If you turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 13, we're going to read there our reading. If you don't have a Bible of your own, our ushers have Bibles available Raise your hand, they'll bring a Bible to you that you can use throughout our service this morning. Mark chapter 13. Let's all stand together then, the reading, in respect to the reading of the Word of God. This can be a difficult passage or difficult topic for, for us in God's Word, but what I want you to do is usually it's difficult because we focus on, on one thing and we get hung up on it. So as I read through, I just want you to follow along. Listen to the flow of God's Word. Don't get caught on one thing. If, you, if something that's not clear or something you don't understand, allow your mind to just keep on with the reading and God will give you a clear understanding as you go through. Mark chapter 13 in its entirety. As he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he. And they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before me. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and father his child. And children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where it ought not to be, let the reader understand, 
Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the, excuse me, let the one who is on the housetop not go down nor enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And at last, for women who are pregnant and those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard. I have told you things, <clears throat> I have told you all things beforehand. But in, in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branches become tender and puts out its, its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It's, it is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Thank God for his word today. We'll be preaching on this text this morning. We pray that God would give us clarity, understanding in the truths of his word that we might know how we are to live um, in regard to his teaching and his word. If you remain standing with me, let's pause for a word of prayer. And our choir will come with special music and then prayer, music, and then the preaching of God's word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. We pray that you would open our understanding to receive your truth, that we might apply it properly in our lives. We might gain the benefit of your wisdom. We might be encouraged in our walk, in our perseverance in living for you. We pray and thank you for each one here today. We thank you for allowing us to, to get up this morning and to arrive here, we thank you for the transportation means that you allowed, and just thank you for this place where we gather. And Lord, we 
um, ask you to um, bless our meeting, bless our fellowship together, that as your word is preached, as we fellowship together, we might um, be listening to your word, listening to your Holy Spirit as, as you speak to us through your word, as you speak to us through each other, as we minister to each other, that um, we might give attention. As we give attention, you might give understanding and that we might live out uh, the truths of your word. We might be a good testimony for those around us. We pray for those who aren't here, some missing uh, because maybe of slothfulness or, or discouragement or despair or whatever. We pray that you administer to those hearts, those who are not here in, 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 uh, physically in present. We pray that you would bless those who are listening and watching uh, through the uh, technology of the internet. We just pray that you would allow them to glean from your truth. Help them to understand, Lord, that it is best to be here and have the fellowship of your people and interact personally. But when that can't happen, uh, they can take advantage of this until the time comes when they can come and be in fellowship. So we pray for that time as well. Bless now the preaching of your word. Prepare our hearts for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. In our text today, Jesus prepares his disciples for the future. He's been preparing them for the future. He's been preparing them for the near future. And now he prepares them both for the near and the far future future, that which would come sometime later. In both of those situations, they had a, they had lenses on that affected how they looked at things and how they saw what was right in front of them. And Jesus needed to kind of correct that lens, so to speak. And we often have a lens. We have we read into things or we don't see things clearly perhaps as God would have us to see them and he wants to prepare us also for the future. Now sometimes it's a little intimidating to look at a teaching from God's word particularly on the last days um, and this is part of that teaching and so this whole chapter is there but I think it'll help be helpful to us to take a look and see why does Jesus bring this topic up now? What, what is he trying to accomplish? Uh, uh, what, is he, what is he working, the thought he's working in the life or, in, excuse me, in the minds of his disciples? What is he trying to help them think through or work through as he brings this topic up? If you can just recall for a moment, uh, what we encountered in our study in Mark. Uh, when we got to Mark 11, we saw there what was called the triumphal entry of Jesus. We saw him, even before then, he was making his way steadily down to Jerusalem. And um, uh, I say down because he's, he's in the northern area, he's headed south, so on the map we call that down. Uh, in other, in, in geographically, we might call it up because Jerusalem is an elevated uh, a city, and so he would be, you know, moving up in that sense. But he had reminded his disciples, remember uh, from the time that he asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? And he asked Peter, who do you say that I am? And he says, 
You are the Christ. And so from that point, he, be, he began to tell them what was going to happen. He says, it's, it's needful, it's necessary that the Son of Man go to Jerusalem. He's going to be, he's gonna be uh, 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 betrayed. He's going to be mocked. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be taken to a false trial. He's going to be killed and crucified. And Peter took him aside. No, no, Lord, that, that, that's not, you, don't, don't speak like that. He rebuked Jesus, and then Jesus rebuked him and said, you're not speaking the things that are of God. And what he was saying to, to Peter is oftentimes, you know, we have a desire for things to turn out a certain way, and we hope that that's true, and we don't want anybody to tell us anything differently. But Jesus was telling Peter, no, look, look, this has to happen. I need to go to Jerusalem, and I must go through this, and this is God's purpose and God's will. But it wasn't on Peter's agenda. He didn't see, when he said, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah, you're the promised one, he's thinking, the kingdom has come, the king is here, I recognize who this king is, and I am ready for the king to conquer. And Jesus is saying, not so fast, Peter. That's not the timing that God has right now. So what we see is, we see that. And then we see in chapter 11, the triumphal entry. And, and that's like, wait a minute. You are the king. And you are entering into, into the key city, into Jerusalem. So he comes into Jerusalem riding on, on a donkey. And he's presented as a king. And the disciples are like, yeah, yeah, everybody's cheering. This is what we want. But when he gets to Jerusalem, he like turns around and walks out at night and comes back the next day. The incident with the, the fig tree, he curses the fig tree, he comes into the temple, uh, he cleanses the temple, he walks out, the disciples notice this, come back the next day, they notice the fig tree that's withered, and, 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 and he teaches a little bit about that, and then he encounters in the temple those who would challenge his authority. Who gave you the authority to do the things that you're doing? What's happening here that the disciples aren't ready to receive and acknowledge is that the king has come to Jerusalem, but he's been rejected. And he knows that, and, and he is speaking woe on Jerusalem and woe on, uh, on the people. And, and we see that in the, in the curse of the fig tree. And we see that he's confronted, he's not respected, he's not acknowledged as king. His, his authority is challenged and questioned by the leaders there. And then we see in chapter 12 how he responds to that. He teaches a parable on what I call the parable of the wicked tenants. And that points to the Pharisees and the leaders there to say that you are the wicked ones. When God sent his messengers to you, you killed them, you persecuted them, you put them to death, you did not listen to them. God finally said, I'm going to send my son, and him you're going to take and kill him as well. The king is flatly rejected. He's not received. The disciples, Peter, would, would, would wanted this to happen, that the king would be received. That they'd be walking to Jerusalem. It would be a great celebration. Jesus would take his place as the rightful king. But that's not 
what's happening. And so now they're spending some time in Jerusalem. They're back in the temple. He's teaching several things there. And now he, he steps aside. He's on the Mount of Olives. It's just a little bit away from the temple. And now we come into chapter 13 of what we see today. And so um, look, look at the disciples. They say, Jesus, check this out, man. You see the temple? You see all the beautiful buildings? You see all the beautiful stone? Isn't this beautiful? Isn't this marvelous? Then what they're saying is, yeah, yeah, yeah. We are ready for the king to rule. We're ready for you to step into your kingdom. And we want to live in a happily ever after. And Jesus again says, not so fast. Not so fast. You see all these buildings? You see this beautiful stone? It ain't going to last. It ain't going to be around forever. It's not going to be around long. And he begins in that setting to tell them what is going to happen in the near future as well as extended future. Why? Why does he share this with them? He, the title of have given this is Jesus prepares his disciples for the future. He's teaching them about what's going to happen. He doesn't want them to grow into despair when things happen that are differently than what they expected to happen. And they go, what's up with that? What's going on? This ain't how I thought it was going to be. So you'll see in this text, one of the key things is Jesus says this. He says, Let's look at the verse. It's in uh, um, verse 23. But be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. He's saying, I want you to understand, or I want you to at least hear. You're going to struggle to understand it, but I want you to hear so that you're not taken uh, by surprise. And you know, this is my very timing this is my purpose. This is my plan. That's why he's sharing this with them now. He's saying this is sure to happen, and I want you to have a right mindset about what's going on. You know, you and I turn on the news, and we see stuff going on, and it, it, it saddens us. It sometimes confuses us in the sense that We'd like the world to, to, to operate differently than it is. We'd like our situation to be different. And we wonder, God, what's going on? And God is saying, don't look. <laughs> Understand I'm in control and I'm pulling out my purpose just as I've always planned it. This is not plan B. <laughs> this is not like, oops, uh-oh, now what do I do? No. This is, look, this is just as I planned and I've expected. And to show you that, I'm going to tell you before it happens. So when it happens, you are believing and you are prepared and you're not in the pit of discouragement over it, but you're prepared. It kind of reminds me of how we go through life sometime. Um, the doctor has that conversation with us or with a loved one. And he tells us the truth about our health situation. And it's not a pleasant thought. It's not something that we want to hear. It has a word in it that we dread sometimes. The word might be cancer. 
And, and, and he tells us this not so that we would spend our nights crying and sleepless, but so that we would take right action now and be able to deal the best that we can with it. Now, in the same way, Jesus tells us as disciples, I'm going to tell you what's going on so that you know I'm in control and that I'm working it out. And it's going to work out to my glory. And I know what I'm doing. And I want you to stay with it. He's like, he's like saying, take a breath. <laughs> I'm going to put you through something. But I'm going to be with you every step of the way. And I guarantee you, I'm in control of this whole thing. So now let's look at the details of what he shares with us. Verse 3, as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately. They asked him privately. You, you can see this is kind of like a, a huh, what moment. They say, hey, look at the beautiful buildings and look at all this. And Jesus says, hey, uh, those stones, they're going to be totally torn apart. The temple is going to be destroyed. Jerusalem is going to come to ruins, he's saying. And they're like, huh, what? That's not what we had in mind. And so they get him privately and they say, you ever have those times where you don't even know what to ask? <laughs> You're just bewildered. It's like, huh? When, what, where, why, why, why? And so they ask him. That's what they're asking him. And he says, let me tell you. Verse 4, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to accomplish? Jesus began to say to them, see that no one leads you astray. See how he starts this? I don't want you to be discouraged. When things start happening, we have a tendency to think that all chaos means God's not operating anymore. And he says, don't let anybody lead you astray. couple of things that's going to happen. He says there's going to be an assault on the kingdom. Assault on his kingdom. Assault on God's kingdom. In other words, the king has come. He's been rejected. And what happens after his rejection? There's going to be a massive assault on his kingdom. The temple will be destroyed. Jerusalem will be under assault. There will be wars and all kind of rumors of wars, nations under war with each other. Now, you ask, has this happened or will it happen? I'll say yes and yes. It was temporarily or, or, or fulfilled locally or at that time in, uh, um, with Jerusalem being destroyed in AD 70. Uh, the temple being destroyed during that same time period. And so Jesus is looking forward to those events. But those events really are just a picture of what's going to happen ultimately in the end times. And he's saying, look, the assault will come on God's people. That means me and you. 
We're going to be under huge assault. He says, nations will be against nations, kingdoms against kingdoms in verse 8. There'll be earthquakes in various places. There'll be famines. And he says, all this he says, but this is just the beginning of the birth pains. In other words, birth pains express a, 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 a huge difficult time, a painful event that's, that's soon to come. He says, this is just the start of it. So he says, there's all kind of activity that shows that we are coming to an end and a close of things, and you'll see it in all types of ways. And you see it in, in the nations against each other. You'll see it in uh, catastrophic type events physical things that are happening. And, and so we see those things happening, and uh, uh, we'll see that more and more and more. Verse 9 says, but be on guard. Be on guard. He says, you're going to have an attack against you. You will be beaten, he says in verse 9. You'll be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them. Nations and kingdoms will turn against you. We can see that fulfilled. Uh, in fact, the book of Acts is kind of a, a fulfillment, kind of a snapshot of all of history, the history of the church, but the history that, that is still to be played out. Uh, we see Paul himself as one who came before kings for the sake of the gospel, persecuted, beaten for the sake of the gospel. So it shouldn't be strange to us that those things have happened in the past since Jesus was crucified, since he was uh, uh, resurrected and ascended into heaven. Those kind of things have happened, and they will happen again. We live in a time where we don't see much physical persecution, but Jesus says, hey, as, as the time grows on and on, we're going to see more and more of that. I think now we can start to see how that, that's a, a, a huge possibility, and in fact, not just a possibility, but an inevitability. It's going to happen more and more. Now, that might cause Christians to be scared, to be in despair. But Jesus is telling them this for a reason, that they might know what's going to happen, and they might know how they should respond to it. He says, um, verse 11, well, first of all, he says, uh, uh, verse 10, the gospel must be be first proclaimed to all nations. It's something about persecution that really gives us boldness to speak forth God's truth. And it is God's desire that this gospel message go out to all of the world. And we're living in that day now. We're seeing the gospel spread abroad, and we're a part of that. And it's God's purpose that that happened. I can say again, in Paul's day, he could say that the gospel had gone out into all of the world, and he was very much instrumental. You see his missionary journeys is very much intent on getting that gospel out. We need to be about that. We need to be about getting the gospel out. One of the reasons is because we know it is the only solution to man's issues and to man's problems. We can get involved in every kind of thing. You know, I see commercials and they talk, they talk about you can give this for, for uh, dogs that are abandoned on the streets of India and Africa or wherever. And, you know, okay, 
whatever cause there is, there's some merit to whatever that cause is. But I want to tell you, there's nothing like the gospel that, that, that ministers to the true need that people have. And it's God's purpose for us to get the gospel out. And sometimes he uses that persecution to scatter us, to move us, to push us, and, and help us understand what really counts and what really matters and to give us the boldness. And so that's what happened. The gospel goes out. And he says, verse 11, when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And we, we see this being carried out. We see that, I said, in Acts, kind of a snapshot of all of history. You see that with Stephen. Uh, um, uh, he, he was put on trial, and he simply spoke. He spoke, preached the whole sermon, I think impromptu. The Holy Spirit just gave him the words to say, and he spoke that truth boldly. We can count that God will give us in the moment what he has for us to have. He, he, will, give us the, 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 he will give us the word. He will give us the courage to speak. And so um, we, we, need to, we, we know we can trust God in the moment. He gives his people what is needful for them. And so it says, rely on the Holy Spirit. He will, he will give that. But you ought to know there's going to be division over the gospel. In verse 12, he says, brother will deliver brother over to death. And father, the father, his child, and children will rise up against parents. He says, within a, a household, there will be division based on the gospel. Now, we need, we need to know that because for years we've taught this uh, so-called easy believism. If you just believe in God, all your life will be smooth and everything will go well. Jesus says, no, there's a different story. That when you trust God, you will often be tested, and that test will often come even within your own home. You're going to have hateful things said about you and your family on Facebook. You're going to have all kind of nonsense going on. Sometimes you ain't even involved in the group or invited to the group because you one of them. I've had that. You have that. And, and so you, and that's just, that's just minor. But these, 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 he's talking about real persecution. Well, people going to call you out and carry you out and uh, 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 put to death those who are believers. Can't you see that on the horizon right now? I heard just this week that it's the, they, they use term, you know, world uses the term like fundamental believers. They just mean anybody who's serious about walking for God or living for Christ. They said fundamental believers is the ones who won't take the vaccine. And, 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 and they're saying, we're the troublemakers. We, get, we need to get rid of all those troublemakers and then life will be so much better for us. You can see that now in the attitude of, of society, in the attitude of media right now. The good are the bad, and the bad are the good. We are the cause of all the trouble. People often said, you know, homosexuality is the issue because of Christian guilt. Guilt complex on those who want to live their own lives and we keep telling them that it's sin and it's wrong and we keep making them feel bad. We're the reason, we're the cause 
for all of the the uh, reason, all the all the harm and all the wrong and and all of the bad feeling. And that that thought is just prevalent today. You you see it all over. It's that's just the start of it. It's going to grow. If you think you can hide uh, your Christianity under a lampstand, if you think you can hide it in a corner, you you're working on a job where they're going to explore that more and more and more. They're going to force you to stand up and and say who you are and who you believe in. You need to trust that God wants you exactly there. He wants you to be a bold testimony for him because you're not going to get anything out of hiding. You're not going to get respect. (laughs) You're not going to get what you think you would get. You might as well realize God wants you to be a powerful witness for him. And when you do that, he gives you the strength. He he, he, He enables you. And supplies your need. I'm reminded of, of Stephen in, in Acts where it says people looked at him and they looked at his face. And his face was steadfast. His face was like that of an angel. I think they had two meanings. One is he was, when we talk about a person like an angel, we, we think of them as innocent uh, or righteous in themselves. And, and he certainly was that. But, but I think of the other way. I think when people saw angels, uh, they were terrified. There was a sense, a sense of strength and a sense of connection with God. And, and, and they don't like that sense. They don't like that face. They don't like that look that you have, the character that you have. So, look, we need to know that it's going to happen. It's going to happen. We need to be prepared for a bold testimony and witness. Let me go on. He says, verse 13, you will be hated by all for my name's sake. You're not going to win a popularity contest if you're living for Christ. I would venture to say those who are most popular probably aren't living for Christ. They aren't steadfast in their way. They're compromising in so many ways to be liked by others, and that's not pleasing to God. God, Jesus says in, in, in Revelation, there's so many that are lukewarm. I wish you were hot or cold. I could take you one way or the other, but don't be lukewarm. He goes on to say what's going to happen. Verse 14, this term, abomination of desolation. If you think I'm going to speak all on that and just clarify all that, I'm not. I'm not, except to say this. He's talking about a time when there will be great public disrespect shown to his followers. Public disrespect shown to his followers. And and, and I think we're seeing more and more of that. You're free to be anything and anybody, but when you're a Christian, you're going to be uh, uh, spoken less of for that. And so we see, we, we, we see the history of that. That's a phrase that's, that's brought up in Daniel chapter 9, uh, verse 27 and so on. Uh, but it speaks of a time, as we get closer to the end times, that the world would turn on believers. In John, Jesus told his disciples, hey, don't be surprised when the world hates you. They hated me. Jesus is speaking to his disciples even in this passage just days before he's going to the cross. This is, the one, this is the one that healed the sick. 
This is the one that released demons, those who were possessed by demons. This is the one that called little girls back from the dead and handed them to her mom and to her parents. This is the one that healed lepers and those who were lame. And, and, and this is the one they put to death. They couldn't stand. And not only put to death, but the way they did it. As we go on in Mark, we'll see some of the, some of the disgusting things that they did to Jesus. The Bible says is they spit in his face. There's no greater way to show disgust and disrespect for a person than to spit in their face. They, they beat him. They put a mock crown on him. They stripped him naked of his clothes and put him in public, but they spit in his face. They, they railed on him saying, if you're the king, if you're the Messiah, get yourself down from there. The, ult the ultimate disrespect that they show. Jesus says if they disrespected me that way, then they will treat you that way. And that's, I think, is symboled by this abomination of desolation. He says, standing where he ought not to stand. In other words, they're going to put it in a place where it certainly ought not to be. Some say that that's the temple, and some say that was uh, 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 kind of pictured by uh, the scene that went on just several, uh, several hundred years or just a few hundred years before Jesus was born when they disrespected the temple and they laid a sacrifice of pigs in the temple. Of course, pigs were an uh, animal that was considered unclean. They would bring that into the temple and, and make a sacrifice of it. And so that's simply a picture of the ultimate disrespect that they would show to God and show to his people. It used to be that uh, people respected churches. If your building was known as a church, people, you know, if they cursed, they would walk on the other side of the street. They wouldn't, they wouldn't curse on the side of the street where the church was. Um, and we, we, we would see uh, if they knew that you were a pastor and a word slipped out the wrong way, if they even knew just you were a believer and they said something that was disrespectful, oh, excuse me. I, I didn't mean to say that in your presence. Now it don't matter. It don't matter. <laughs> we have people who, who throw trash in, in our back. Now that's not because we a church. That's just because they're ignorant. Really. It's just because they're ignorant. And they would throw that anywhere. Put trailers right in our front door. Now they know we're a church and they're not doing it because we're a church. They just don't care. They could care less. You could have a funeral going on, and you've seen that. They, they, they won't honor the funeral procession as it goes in, weaving in and out of it. And just and then as soon as they mama or they sister or they brother die, they're ready to shoot you because you don't show them respect. But we have this growing thing going on. There's the ultimate disrespect showed to God's people because they are God's people. He says, it's going to get so bad, you're going to have to flee. Verse 15, let the one who was on the housetop not go down, nor enter his house. He said, in other words, he's saying, don't waste no time. Get out as fast as you can, is what he's saying. He says, hope you ain't pregnant, 
I hope it ain't winter where it's hard to travel because you're going to want to travel and flee as quickly as possible. Jesus is setting the scene what's going to happen in the end times before his return of how the conditions are going to be. And we can see that we are getting closer and closer to that time. He goes on. I wanted you to see this in a general light so that you would not get, you would not lose the whole picture or the big picture uh, look at it. He says there's going to be extreme hardship, verse 18. Pray that it may not happen in the winter. He says, verse 19, it's going to be unprecedented in the attack on God's people. Unprecedented means it's never been like that before, that bad before, and it never will be again. This is one of a time. And so, uh, um, you know, we thought things are bad, were bad before. We think things are bad now, say so it's going to get a whole lot worse. Now, then comes what I think is the ultimate in encouragement in this text. Jesus means for us to be encouraged. You said, now how can we get encouragement out of a text like this? You just said it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse than it ever has been in all the history. And you're implying, Pastor, that I might have to go through it, and I certainly am implying that. You and I both may have to go through it, that it may be for believers. He's talking to them. I'm not going to get into all the different uh, uh, ways and modes of, of, of thinking and classifying the end times. Um, but I certainly think that Jesus is preparing his people for what's going to happen. But here's the encouragement as his people go through what they go through. By the way, his people have always gone through hardships. He himself went through hardships. The disciples themselves all went through hardships. He told Peter, look, I'm going to teach you how you're going to end your life. And he says, when you were young, you went wherever you went, but wherever you wanted to go. But when you get old, there's somebody going to grab you and take you where you don't want to go. And the Bible makes it clear. He says, he told Peter this to signify the type of death that he would die. Now, that writer, the one who was writing that, would have lived through those very experiences. He would have lived, he lived longer than any of the other apostles, and he would have seen or heard of or been alive when Peter himself was crucified. Peter, yes, Peter was crucified. Peter was put to death on the cross. History tells us that he didn't want to be crucified the same way that Jesus was. He didn't think that... that that he deserved that. He said, turn me upside down. I don't deserve to die like Jesus died. And so the history tells us that he was in fact crucified. So, so the disciples went through extreme hardships. Why should we think that we won't go through any? But here's our comfort. Here's our comfort. Verse 19 and verse 20. Verse 20 says, If the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. 
Now, I don't know exactly what it means that he shortened the days. But I suppose it has to do with this intense suffering that was put on his people that he took some of that away. That he either shortened the exact time that they would go through that or he took he relieved them in it in some type of way. But he says, for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. This shows us that God always, in our time of great need, he is always there, and he always has a gracious provision for us. We always think, I know um, my wife, when she went through her surgery, as I look back on that, I say, Lord, how could she go through that? And as I look back on me looking at it, I'm like, I don't want to see it. I don't want to look at it. I don't want to think about it. I would rather not experience it. And that's just me observing. But since I did go through it, and since I watched her go through it, I realized in that moment, and that's why I thank you guys for praying the way that you prayed, in that moment, God gave a strength, a provision that we would not normally have. Look, I'm not no superhuman being, neither is she, but in that moment, God gives the strength and the grace so that when you look back at it, you say, I, 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 I don't know, but I do know it's because of him. Amen. It's because of him. So the, the, the encouragement is that God gives to his people in the moment what it is they need to get through that difficulty. I know we fret. I hear it in our prayer request. Pray for me for this. I, I, you're saying, I'd rather not go through that. Jesus in, in, in Matthew 26, he, he would rather not go through. He, he sat and labored in the garden of Gethsemane. He said, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. The Bible says that he began sweat, drop, blood dropped from his face like great drops of sweat. But it was blood. He was in so much agony that he was bleeding sweat. And he said, if possible, Lord, take this from me. He was where we are. Saying, Lord, I don't see how I can get through this. I don't know. And we, we often say, Lord, help me. Don't, don't let me go through. But God says, I got you. I got you. Jesus resolved, nevertheless, your will be done. He resolved to follow the Father's will regardless of what it meant or the hardship it would mean for him. And he set the example. He said, look, saints, you have trusted in God all of your life. In your moment of great need, don't think that he will abandon you. You will experience his presence and his power like you have never done before. Notice what God says in this text. He says, 
he says in verse 20, the sake of the elect. I love that term, the elect. Elect means God has chosen you. See, you didn't choose, and you didn't choose that moment for yourself. You might be saying yes and surrender to it, but God chose you, and he chose the moment for you. So we can say, Lord, I pray that I never have to go through that. And, and I, I get it. I see it. I pray the same prayer. But I actually pray is, Lord, I know when I go through my moment, I will need strength from you. And I can trust that you will supply it. I don't quite know what that feels. And sometimes I don't want to know what it feels because I know I'll be at that moment of extreme testing. But God says, I'll be there. You are my elect. I have chosen you for everything that I have you to go through. And if I've chosen you, you can guarantee that I will be with you. Don't you think that there's something that you can experience that you can't take? 1 Corinthians 10, 13 has to do physical as well as emotionally and spiritually. There is no struggle or temptation taking you that you experience, but such is common to man. In other words, if I have to die on a, 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 in torture for the Lord Jesus Christ, I can realize there's other believers before me that have gone through that kind of thing. There is no experience. There's no struggle. There's no temptation or trial that... That, had, that you will experience that is not common. In other words, others have gone through it and God has brought them through. This is God is able who will not allow you to go through something that you can't take. We cop out sometimes at the last moment or we want to cop out, but God says don't do that. Trust me through the end, and you will see my power like none has ever seen it. He expresses all that and saying, you are my elect. That's his way of saying, I love you, I care for you, and I have brought you to myself and to this very moment. He ain't saying, hey, I just threw you out there, you know, sink or swim. No, he's saying, you are mine. You are my elect. The other term he says there, he says in verse 20, for the sake of the elect whom he chose. He's clarifying and emphasizing the fact that those who, be, who will, now all of us won't go through this same challenge, but for those who do, he is there. He has chosen you. God himself has set you apart for the life that he's given you. And so if he set you apart for it, you can rely on him for the strength to endure. He chose you. It's not random. It's not random. He says, my people, my son, my daughter, my loved one. And he's saying, I am with you. David says, 
Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil because you are with me. I think David had to experience some things in life to recognize that God is with him. In Psalm 139, the psalmist writes, Where can I go to get away from your presence? If I would take my bed in the lowest parts, even in hell if I was there, because I'm yours, you'd be with me. You hear what he's saying? That's not where you're going to be. But he's saying, if it were possible, and you had to go through the worst thing, God is with you. And then he says this back in our text. I just, I just don't want you to miss it, saints. He says, but for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. That's, the, that's like him saying, he gave the provision of grace necessary. He did. He held back some, and he gave strength for all. It's difficult, but God supplies. And then he says this in the next verse. <clears throat> There's going to be false saviors that come out. Verse 21. If anyone says to you, look, Here's the Christ. Oh, look, there he is. Do not believe it. What is he saying there? During this time, there's going to be phonies. Can I share with you kind of what phonies look like? He says they're false saviors. They're false Christs. They act like they came to save and had a power to save, but they don't. They often give a good word, a sure word, a word that makes you feel better, that makes you feel good about something, but there's no real power behind it. They're false. They want to say Christ is coming and, 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 and they're lying. That's not it. He's saying, don't listen to the phonies who want to tell you that, that you won't have to go through challenges or you won't, be, you know, this ain't for you. God is going to deliver you in some way that he didn't say that he would. Don't listen to the nonsense. And he says that for a very clear reason. He says, when I come, you're going to know it. You're going to know it. It ain't going to be no doubt about it. Everybody's going to know. I'm going to skip to that in just a minute. But he's saying there's going to be false gods is what they are. False gods have always been a part of those who don't trust in God. And when you have a false god, you have a false prophet that points to that false god. And these false prophets are going to do signs and wonders. Now, the signs and wonders can be real signs and real wonders, real power, but it's false prophets and it's false gods. In other words, they're doing stuff to get you to believe a lie. Don't be fooled by it. This is going to be a strong thing going on that he says in verse, uh, end of verse 22, to lead astray, if possible, the elect. The purpose of the false gods, the false prophets, the false 
wonder or the, the, the uh, signs and wonders is to lead people astray, is to get them to put their confidence in something other than God. Calm down. It's cool. We got it under control. No, you don't. God does, but you don't. And my trust and my allegiance and my confidence needs to be in God, not anything else. Not a false God, not a false hope. And he says, here how you know. Look at verse 24. I'm going to wrap it up here. Verse 24, in those days after that tribulation, there's going to be a lot of stuff going on, these catastrophic Physical events, he mentions them, the sun will be dark and the moon will not give its light. The stars are falling from heaven. The powers of heaven will be shaken. Now, whether that's, uh, 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 it's, it's something powerful and ca- catastrophic, whether it's, it's physical. I don't, I don't think we, we're talking about real stars falling to earth. That, that's, not, that's not there. Maybe it's something that looks like that. But whatever it is, it is real and it is powerful catastrophic and and it's a sign more of what's about to happen and it says look at verse 26 and they and then they will see the son of man coming in the clouds with great power and glory Jesus makes it clear when he returns it's not going to be a secret invisible return it's going to be something for all to see And on earth at this time are those that trust in him and those who don't trust in him. That makes plain and simple to me. And those who don't trust in him will see this. The Old Testament said they will look on him whom they pierced. They're going to see Jesus coming. It's going to be a huge visible display of God's glory and his power when Jesus returns. It's not going to be like, oh, well, he was there, but y'all missed it. He came in a spiritual way. No. The whole world is going to change. The whole world will notice what takes place here. Jesus is clear about this. They will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And guess what else? Then he will send out his angels and gather his elect from the four winds. Evidence that the elect are there and they're going to be gathered. The angels come in and they swoop up God's people from everywhere. Verse 32. The next verses I'm going to skip over. It simply just says this. All these things show that it's getting closer and closer. And when these things happen, know that it's on the way. It's very close. Verse 32 speaks to the point that nobody knows the exact timing of it. It it always tickles me that God puts things in life and he puts things in his words so that we'll know that we can't know some things. Because you always got this person who thinks that they're the expert and they just got it done. And it always, usually turns out that it's made clear they ain't got it. They don't know it all. 
is not quite the way that they thought it would be. Jesus makes it clear that this time is appointed by God and, and, and kept for his knowledge only. Don't waste your time trying to figure it out. He tells you how to spend your time. In light of what the truth is, he tells you. He says this, verse 35, therefore stay awake. Stay awake. He says, be on guard in verse 23. In verse 33, he says again, be on guard. Verse 33, keep awake. Verse 34 and 35, stay awake. Stay awake. Verse 36, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. He's saying, pay attention to what he says, his word, and stay awake, alert, and attentive. Staying awake has to do with being ready for him, not thinking that this ain't going to happen anytime soon or I ain't got to worry about nothing. I can just do my own thing. He says, no, be about his work and his business. Look, if you realize what's going to happen and that Jesus has come, even if you kind of figure that it may not even be in your generation, don't you think you ought to spend most of your time preparing the next generation for what's sure to come? Since you don't know whether it's going to be there in, in yours or theirs. Don't you think if you love them, you'd be preparing them for this great catastrophic, catastrophic event that is sure to happen and let them be properly prepared for it? Don't you think that if they see you living casually like you don't believe it, that that is sure incentive for them to follow that saying, well, mama didn't believe it. I ain't going to believe it either. Daddy didn't, certainly didn't live like that was true. That certainly wasn't tops on his agenda. Jesus says, stay alert. We have such a casual culture in our lifestyle that you actually, I, I spend time trying to convince people that they should be in church. That they should come to church. That they should, now, I don't, usually don't have to spend time uh, uh, convincing them they need to go to work because, you know, they, they want that paycheck. Now, some of them speak, figure out other ways how to get a paycheck where they ain't got to work, but... They, one way or the other, they're going to spend the time and the effort to get what pays. But church evidently doesn't pay. Faithfulness and consistency does not pay to them. Jesus says, stay alert, stay awake, be vigilant. Those who endure to the end will be delivered, will be saved. He's saying, you need to have that sense of enduring and faithfulness to God, not a sometimes but an in-the-moment walk. I want to tell you, I believe the disciples were faithful because they actually believed what Jesus had to say. When they first went about it, they were thinking things were going to happen a certain way, and Jesus kind of bust that bubble and said, no, that's not the way I got it. You, the way you think about it is not the way I have it happening. But let me inform you so that when things start to turn, you'll see that I told you already, this is the way it's going. And you'll be encouraged, not discouraged. You will, you will 
build yourself up to endure. You prepare yourself to endure instead of getting discouraged. It's amazing when tough things happen, people start reading Revelation and start reading the end times. Well, the time to understand that is right now. It's actually not very difficult to understand. He wants you to, to, to understand, to take his truth in now, to understand it and to live it out. Because we know Christ is going to return. We live lives for his glory. Because we know his kingdom is going to last. I've invested in that kingdom. You are to invest in that kingdom. Jesus said all this to prepare his disciples for the future. The future was this. He was going to lay himself, his life as a payment for our sin on the cross. You know, he, he knew he was going to leave his disciples and return, and he knew there's another time he's coming to return to truly enter and set up his kingdom as he intends. He wants us to be prepared and be preparing others for that great event that's coming. Prepare yourself. Prepare others. They'll listen to you if you live a convincing life, like you actually believe what God has said. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for the conviction. We thank you for the comfort that it brings, that you will be with your people, that you have made a gracious provision for whatever we face. You'll be there with us. We thank you for that. We thank you, Lord, that You've allowed us to experience. Some of us have gone through some difficult things, and we realize that in that moment, you were there. You were there for us. You're always there for your people in that moment. We thank you for that. We pray, Lord, you would encourage us to live faithfully. You encourage those who hear your message to turn to Christ, to turn to him right now, to not delay. And we thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen.